Welcome back to Something Ominous. This is your host, Jessica. And I'm Karina. And this is episode 16. 16. Let's see, what are you drinking today? Water. I'm drinking lemonade. <laughs> no wine for us tonight. Yeah. So we hope you enjoyed our first alien story last time. I did. Oh, we're thinking of switching our... Um, we're not thinking. We're going to switch our uploads to Thursdays. It's so much easier for research purposes, recording and editing, editing. for the both of us. Yeah, I think that'll work a lot better because I feel like we've been rushing on Wednesdays to upload and then I know you have to like edit and everything. So I think Thursday gives us a good time. Yeah, it's like a good enough time for us to do any research, enjoy family time mm -hmm. and do everything that we have to do and Thursday making sure that it's uploaded because I know these past few episodes, they've been late. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, but Thursdays from now on. Yeah, Thursday's good. All right. All right, I can get started. Okay, yeah. So today I'll be taking you to Arizona. Ooh, it's not I've Mexico. I wanted to go to Arizona. I know. While I was doing the research, I was like, I really want to go here. Can we go? Take a road trip? <laughs> Let's go. So we're going to the Superstition Mountains located in Tonto National Forest in central Arizona, part of the Sonoran Desert. Surrounding the area, you'll also find the Lost Dutchman State Park in Apache Junction, Arizona. There is many legends surrounding this area, but first I'm going to give you a little bit of history. I dive so deep into history that I forget sometimes it's like paranormal, but I try to keep it a little short. So Superstition Mountains are located about 40 miles from Phoenix. It covers over 160,000 acres with peaks ranging from 2,000 to 6,000 feet above the Sonoran Desert. Weaver's Needle is one of the most popular rock climbing destinations in the superstitions. And I know you've seen it. I feel like you have. If you've looked at what to do in Arizona, you've seen this peak. So let me show you. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's well known. The mountains were formed by intensive volcanic activity that took place in Arizona years ago. And I mean like millions of years ago. And like I mentioned earlier, it is located in Tonto National Forest. You can only access this area by foot or horse. It's Arizona's most treasured recreational attraction. They offer a lot of activities for hikers, bikers, horseback riders, and even water sports enthusiasts. Indigenous tribe, I'm going to try my best to pronounce this, Akimolodam, known as the Pima Indians, and the White Mountain Apache once lived in this area. The Pima people told stories about strange sounds coming from the mountains, people disappearing, and mysterious deaths. There was an ongoing fear of the area that local farmers in the 1800s officially named the mountains superstitions in honor of their indigenous history. Every now and then, people report to still hear rumblings coming from the superstitions that sound like rolling thunder. Geologists believe the sounds come from seismic activity resonated by canyon walls. The White Mountain Apache believe that the superstitions thundered because the mountains are the home of the thunder gods. I love. Oh, that's cool. I know. I, I love, love all the songs. stories. I was like thunder gods, and I started searching thunder uh -huh. gods. I get like so sidetracked whenever yeah. I do these research. There is this really huge, famous Old West tale of the Lost Dutchman's gold mines. Have you heard of that? No. Okay. <laughs> so it's said to be located in this area. And rumor has it that there's gold all in the hills. Mm. So according to the show, Legend of the Superstition Mountains, um, 
You can find it in the History Channel. A group of conquistadores, including Francisco Coronado, arrived to the superstitions on the hunt for one of the mythical seven cities of gold during their expedition. All of a sudden, Coronado's men started to disappear one by one. Some bodies were found decapitated. Coronado and his men fled out of fear. Around the 1840s, the Peraltas, a Mexican mining family, were rumored to be getting rich, pulling gold and silver out of these mountains and taking it back to Mexico. Just like Coronado's men, the Peralta family was mysteriously ambushed and massacred. They believe the family was massacred by the Apache in the area, but no one is certain. This area is now known as the Massacred Grounds. After their massacre, the mines were covered up and the location was never found. It was known that a few people were familiar with the location, people that worked in the mines, and even two family members that escaped the massacre. Numerous maps have surfaced over the years, but they were either lost or misplaced when people interested over the mines pressed for information. And about the maps, I know that there's been several maps that were drawn out and sold but they believe to be fake maps and they were just trying to get money, wow. like make some type of money uh -huh. from this gold. Historians have different maps and some of the maps match up to what they believe the original one is mm -hmm. because they found they found drawings that mm -hmm. the Peralta family left so they won't get lost. So some people throughout the years have came across these drawings on rocks that are believed to be maps that the Peralta family left, once they get to their mines or the destination for the gold, mm -hmm. they wouldn't get lost. Okay, so some like some maps are fake and some maps are believed to be real? Yes. Um, mm -hmm. Has anyone tried? They have, but nothing's happened. So there's been claims of men finding the Peralta mines, but later unable to return to it, or disaster occurring before they could file a claim that the gold was found. All this added to the lore of the lost mines. Around the 1870s, a German named Jacob Waltz, a.k.a. Oh, also known as the Dutchman. <laughs> <laughs> I put a.k.a. on here. So it was fine if you had kept the a.k.a. Yeah, I guess. Mm. LOL. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Around the 1870s, a German named Jacob Waltz, also known as the Dutchman, said he located the lost mines with the help of a Peralta descendant. Like, I'm assuming maybe from one of the two that survived that, you know, escaped mm -hmm. the massacre. Waltz and his work partner, Jacob Weiser, allegedly hid gold in the Superstition Mountains. A lot of the stories say that the gold is in the area of Weaver's Needle, the most hiked area. It's rumored that Weiser was killed by the Apaches, but some believe that Waltz murdered him so he won't have to share his gold and keep the location a secret. Because of the location's mystery and rumors that Jacob, the Dutchman, found the mines, it was later named after him. So that's why it's called the Lost Dutchman's Gold Mines. Due to failing health, Jacob Waltz died in 1891. Julia Thomas, a neighbor who took care of him prior to his death, supposedly was given the description of the mine's location. So up to his death, he never told anybody where it was. He kept it all to himself. Mm -hmm. Greedy little man. Neither her or anybody else that went out looking for the gold was able to find this location. The Lost Dutchman's Mines became a lore and a mystery, and many are obsessed with finding this gold. Many that have hiked the superstition in hopes of finding gold have mysteriously died or disappeared without a trace. People have reported hearing yelling, talking, and even chanting that seems to surround them, but no one is around. Ooh. Ooh. 
spooky <laughs> imagine you're like hiking and then you hear these noises mm. to turn around and no one is there like you don't hear you don't see them but you hear their voices you hear chantings do hell no i would immediately think oh there's ghosts here especially if you're hiking by yourself yeah and then it's like indigenous land hikers who just go out on an adventure not even to look for gold have come out to say that they feel stalked They'll hear someone walking behind them, and when they turn around, no one is there, and the noise stops. And it's such a popular place, too. Very popular. And you know, it's crazy because there's it's open land. It's flat. It's a mm -hmm. desert. That's the only area that has mountains. So when you turn around, everything is flat. There's no mm -hmm. tree. It's not a forest. It's yeah. a desert. So you're going to turn around to see who's walking behind you. There's nowhere for them to hide, and then for yeah. there not to be shit. You can't even, like, blame it on an animal or anything. No. Creepy. <gasps> There's been reports that at least 600 people have died in the area and majority were searching for the gold. I found this vlog that I'm going to post later or in the show notes. And this girl did such a good job because she put a timeline of all these deaths. Um, most of them kind of have, like, a similar faith. I'm going to read a few of them. I'm going to be jumping timelines. I'm going to skip a few years. Mm-hmm. 1910, in an elevated cave in the superstitions, the skeletal remains of a female were discovered. There were tiny pieces of gold nuggets next to the remains. However, no fragments of clothing of any kind were found, adding to the mystery. 1937, another prospector named Guy Frank, who had made several successful treks into the Superstition Mountains to find gold without dying, finally ran out of luck after he was found dead from a gunshot wound to the stomach on the side of the trail. Next to his decomposing body was small sacks of gold. 1945, Barry Storm, a treasure hunter on the search for the lost mines, claims to have narrowly escaped from a sniper in the superstitions. 1947, James Cravey's skeletal remains were found in the superstition mountains after he went missing while looking for the lost treasure. They found his skeletal minus the head near Weaver's Needle. They never found his skull. 1951, an Oregon man named Dr. John Burns was found with a single bullet hole through his body. Even though there was no powder residue and ballistic experts believe he was shot from a distance, his death was ruled a suicide. So there's definitely a sniper in the area. Yeah. In 1958, a deserted campsite was discovered in the Superstition Mountains. It was along the northern edge of the mountains. There was a bloodstained blanket a gun cleaning kit, no gun, cooking utensils, and letters from which the names and address had been torn out. No trace of the camp's occupants has ever been discovered. What if there's like... Have you ever watched the movie Hills Have Eyes? <laughs> a long time ago. I'm thinking like, what if there's a little group or like a person, like someone living there? They believe that there is. You know, is. like murdering people? Yeah, no, they believe that there is. At least... From my research, they believe that there was someone within mm -hmm. those years yeah. living there. Um, many remains have also been found throughout the years. Some are known as the headless people because they're found without a head. There are many similar deaths from unexplained gunshots. If you go to this vlog, majority of them are gunshots. So I was like, why am I going to mm -hmm. include all of them? Some of them were ruled suicide and it's like, where's the gun? Where's everything? It's just unexplained. Especially the guy that said he was a... What did you say, like near um, with a sniper? Oh, yeah. 
That's crazy. If you search this area, it's open land. So th these people must be hiding within the yeah. actual mountains. And it's huge. Yeah. So definitely there was someone out there possibly trying to protect the gold or mm -hmm. the mines. Maybe they were a little too close to the mines. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So there is a YouTube video from the Paranormal Files where they interview a guide from the Superstition Mountains. The guide's name is Corey. He says that he wouldn't hike these mountains alone. So that's one if a mm -hmm. guide is telling you i'm not gonna go to these mountains i'm not gonna freaking go mm -hmm. to these mountains either at least not alone he said that the gold doesn't interest him or scares him as much as the caves that are in this area so he was saying that back in the 1800s there was a story about a gentleman who was chasing horses in the area and he was on the side of the hill when he went into one of these caves in the cave he found copper axes and bones of around seven giant people, eight to 10 feet tall. Whoa. <laughs> Your face. You're like, whoa. Yeah, I had to like, wait, seven to eight feet. <gasps> seven giants. So they found seven skeletal remains uh -huh. of people that were eight to 10 feet tall. Oh, eight to 10 feet. Yes. <gasps> wow. In the caves. In the caves. Now, I don't know if they like, I don't know what happened after that because he didn't yeah. go much into detail mm -hmm. and then when i tried searching it i couldn't see it because these stories are so old yeah so it's really hard to find information from the early 1800s so the history of the native americans in the area have talked about giants and little people which i'm assuming are the one this oh my goodness so yeah uh -huh. so there's stories of giants and little people here mm -hmm. i don't know i believe that there were giants at one point in mm -hmm. this life i mean there were dinosaurs why would they not be giants that's crazy if they did find them but where are they did he leave them in there how do they know the story mm -hmm. i have many questions and then i'm also going to read two stories that i found under this video from people i love comments that people leave so one of these is from plock baggies 8707 mm -hmm. he says in 1994 me and my five friends went hiking and camping in these mountains after the first night when we woke up our buddy David was missing. All his stuff was there and we searched all over but couldn't find him. Right before sunset, he shows up back to the camp just as we were about to leave to notify the sheriff's office. He couldn't tell us where he'd been. According to him, he woke up to use a restroom and he blinked and next thing he knows, he was walking up to the camp. To this day, he hasn't been able to remember where he was for nine hours. <gasps> This reminded me of your mirrored men where they blink and then I don't know where they, they just wake up and yeah. have missing time. This other comment is from Lynn Farley, 7851. She says, I am Native American, Salt River Pima, Scottsdale, Arizona. My grandparents raised me on the reservations. We have legends about the Superstition Mountains. It was ingrained in me to never go there. There are many strange disappearances. People go into those mountains and no traces are found. The Apaches never got along with our tribe and they were not a friendly tribe. So we stayed far away from them. There is more to this mountain range, a lot more. As a Pima Indian, I will not go there. I was told the Apaches still hide inside and protect the superstitions. This is the first person to speak the truth about superstition mountains. Listen very closely to him. Thank you. She was talking about the guide, Corey. So you have to watch this video. It's like a 30 mm -hmm. minute long video and mm -hmm. he goes deep into detail takes them through the superstition mountains or some of the range at least so yeah they still believe that the apaches reside within the superstition mountains people in the area also believe that these deaths were caused by the ghost of those that died 
pushing them off mm-hmm. the side of the mountain. So if you're out there searching for gold or maybe even too close to the mines, you may not be so lucky making it back home. Wow. I'm not sure about the hiking anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can go we during need a the Rosario. day. I know. On our hike. No, no yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, there is a Lost Dutchman's Trail, too, mm-hmm. that supuestamente it takes you through the start of the mines. Yeah, but I think the views in Arizona are so nice. So different from here in Texas, where I feel like, well, especially where we live, it's so flat. Yeah, we have I'm no like, view. I just want to see mountains. Why am I nervous right now? Okay. I think because your story is really long. I think <laughs> we reverse roles. I'm sorry. <laughs> But it's interesting, okay? No, it's fine. I love long stories. You know, mines are over eight pages. To me, that's a lot. I'm pretty sure people out there write a lot more than that when they do their podcast. Yeah, because they're like an hour and a half. Yeah. Dude, I can't imagine. I'm like, how do you have so much content? Okay, are you ready? I'm ready. So today, I will be covering the Narco Satanico Cult. Ooh! Have you heard of it? Yes! Wait, is it the one with South Padre Island? Close, yeah. Matamoros. So today I will be covering the narco-satanico cult that was formed by Adolfo Constanzo and later Sara Aldrete that in total killed 15 people or more and involved animal and human sacrifices. It all started with Adolfo Constanzo. Adolfo was born in Miami in 1962. His mother was named Delia Aurora Gonzalez. She was a Cuban immigrant and known to practice santeria. I think you've talked about santeria before, right? Yeah, a little bit. I didn't go full into it. She not only practiced it, but was a santera, which is like a priestess in that religion. To explain a bit on what santeria is, it's a religion from West Africa and the Caribbean, and it also has some Catholic components. They are known to make offerings during celebrations or when asking for favors from deities, so they'll use animals like chickens or goats. When Adolfo was a teenager, a local sorcerer took interest in him and introduced him to the religion Palo Mayombe which is often called, and I quote, the dark side of Santeria. The main thing is they focus on invoking the spirits of the dead for personal gain. In Palomayombe, the use of human remains for rituals is unusual but not unheard of. If there has to be a big sacrifice for a certain ritual, they'll use a large animal such as a horse, or they'll use human remains, but this is usually done by grave digging. The offerings to the gods are usually made in a ceremonial cauldron. I looked up pictures and it literally looks like a witch's cauldron but filled with tall sticks, coins, rocks, railroad spikes, and I guess whatever the ritual calls for. Adolfo became really interested in Palo Mayombe and voodoo and was known as a witch doctor where he was from. He also used his good looks to his advantage and began modeling in Miami and soon took a modeling job in Mexico City. Let me look at this man. I did the same thing. I'm like, let me look up a picture. And I was hmm. like, okay, sir. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Anyways. This fucker's ugly. No, sir. <laughs> I mean, right? Like, not enough to be sent to, like, another country. No. To model. Maybe back in his time, but even then. Yeah. So, it was in Mexico City that he began to use his knowledge about spells and offerings to his advantage. He was making money doing tarot card readings and soon began to offer spiritual cleansings and spells to narcos, politicians, and high-ranking policemen. When Adolfo became more known... He started getting hired by cartels for protection with drug smuggling or conflicts with other cartels. Okay, so his shit was legit. Like when he would do tarot readings, it was like accurate. When he would do all these little spells, they were accurate. Not little spells. I don't want to like downplay them because they are spells at the end of the day. Yeah. 
So the, they were the, legit, like they would work. So oh. that's why he started becoming more known. Like high ranking policemen would pay him like big money, um, cartels, politicians. Wow. Yeah. Adolfo looked for help and recruited his first followers, Jorge Montes, Martin Quintana, and Omar Orea. So I saw different things being said about this. Some articles say that he was bisexual and Jorge and Martin were his first lovers. And other articles said that he was gay but would sleep with women if he had to. So I don't know this man's sexuality, but it is believed that his first followers were also his lovers. And he had attracted them with his looks and money and talks about the power they would receive from doing spells. Adolfo began to recruit more followers into his cult and he started being known as El Padrino. One of his followers was named Sara Aldrete. Sara Aldrete was born in 1962 in the city of Matamoros, Tamaulipas. She attended Texas Southmost College and was also a cheerleader for their soccer team. Even though Sara was educated and came from a good family, she was drawn to the darkness in Adolfo. She was also drawn to witchcraft and dark magic. Adolfo, on the other hand, knew that Sara had ties with the Hernandez clan, who at the time were known to smuggle marijuana and had ties on both sides of the border. So he was pretty much just using her for his benefit. Sara assisted the clan with spells and became the high priestess of the cult. So many of the magic spells that Adolfo did needed blood, apparently, so he began doing animal sacrifices. He used the blood of chickens, goats, cats, dogs, and he was even known to have used the blood of lion cubs. Oh, God. I know. Oh, that broke my heart. As he gained fame among the sicarios and was asked to place a larger protection spell on them, it occurred to Adolfo that he needed human body parts. At first, they were grave digging and using those remains in cauldrons. But when Adolfo and Sara decided to purchase Rancho Santa Elena in Matamoros and start their own smuggling business, it was clear to them that they required an even bigger sacrifice. Most of the first victims were rivals, members of other gangs, or corrupt cops. Their bodies were drained of blood and cooked in the cauldron along with other herbs and animals. The cult members would then drink this, believing it would make them invisible and bulletproof on their assignments. Really? Yeah. Do the cult members, like the people that joined this cult, were brainwashed? Yeah, they were brainwashed, but they were also like lacked education. People from like rich. No, they were rich. What? Like they were from rich families, and some of them were from the college that Sarah was from. Well educated that they should have known better. Yes. Yeah. What the? Heck? You know what? It's probably due to the fact that he was good. Mm hmm. That they were like, he must know. Yeah, and his witchcraft worked. Mm -hmm. That is so crazy. Some members even wore necklaces made of the victim's vertebrae. One example of a ritual they did was when a cartel member named Ovidio Hernandez and his two-year-old were kidnapped by a rival gang. The cult members kidnapped, tortured, and killed a stranger as a sacrifice. They placed the remains in the cauldron and chanted prayers. Just three days later, Ovidio and his son were released without a ransom or anything in return. Of course, they took credit for this and word spread of the power that the cult had. So see, it was like things like this that people were like, oh, like it must be working, mm -hmm. whatever they're doing. And of course, narcos, like sicarios, all of them, they don't care if you're killing people as long as their plan is, is successful. Yeah, they do things for their benefit. And didn't care that Adolfo and the cult members were killing people for it. From 1979 to 1989, it is believed that the narco-satanico cult killed more than a dozen victims. In one instance, the cult had a big sum of marijuana to ship to Rio Grande, and Adolfo believed that he needed an even bigger sacrifice. It was March of 1989, and he knew that was a time when spring breakers from the U.S. would come into the city. So he told his followers that for their next ritual, he would need an American. 
Mark Kilroy, had just turned 21 at the time. He was a student at the University of Texas, Austin, studying to become a doctor. Mark and his friends were partying in South Padre during spring break and decided to go to Matamoros for a night. After he and his friends left the bar, Mark left the group for a minute to relieve himself and throw out some beer that they had, and that would be the last time his friends would ever see him. Mark was kidnapped by the cult and was taken to the ranch where he was essayed, murdered, and dismembered. His remains were drunk by the cult for what they believed would give them special powers. What Adolfo and his followers would never imagine is that Mark's uncle was a special agent with the U.S. Customs Service. Andale, pendejos. Andale. <laughs> Síganle. His family would not rest until finding their son. Mexican authorities took about four weeks to discover Rancho Santa Elena, where they found one of the members, David Serna, who would tell them what occurred there. They found 15 bodies, including the body of Mark Kilroy. In a large cauldron, they discovered the remains of a human brain, a turtle, a horseshoe, and that's just to give you an idea of what rituals consisted of. Oh my God. I know. It was like disgusting. Like the things that the brain, the the body parts that they would use, like and what they would do to them is like so random. Like it was just like sick. It was sick. Sick. Yeah. But ugh. I don't know. I'm speechless. I feel like I have stuff to say, but then I can't even say it. Yeah, it's like hard to put in words. Many of the bodies that had been buried were missing body parts and mutilated. And another thing to add, I read that the Mexican authorities would not enter the ranch unless it was blessed. So they literally had to cleanse the place first. And they also cleansed it after it was burned to the ground. I think it was hard for American authorities to understand that. But I think we can understand why. Like, they literally would not go into the rancho until they were like, no, we need holy water to protect ourselves and cleanse it out. Yeah, because there was a lot of darkness in there. Mm -hmm. And I mean, and they were scared. And majority, well, not majority, I don't know. I don't know about now, but a lot of people practice Catholicism. Aside from that, people just fear Santeria. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'd get it. I, I think I would be scared too. Yeah, it's like you need like, okay, I'm going to bring my rosario and I'm going to bring like holy water, like to protect yourself. So authorities found all of this, but Adolfo and a few of his members, including Sara Aldrete, were nowhere to be seen. Apparently, they had escaped through the back entrance. It took them about a month to track them in an apartment building in Mexico City. It said that as soon as Adolfo spotted the police cars in the parking lot, they began a shootout with machine guns. After 45 minutes, Adolfo asked one of his followers named Leon Valdez to shoot him and his lover, Martin Quintana. Leon did as he was told, and Adolfo was dead. Sara attempted to escape, but was caught. She was sentenced to 67 years in prison. Cult members Elio and Serafín Hernández were also sentenced to 67 years in prison, but later had it reduced to 50 years after they appealed. The narco-satanico cult left a dark history in Matamoros. The ranch is actually still standing till this day. It made news again in 2021 when a quinceañera decided to have her 15 photo shoot there. What? Yeah, it was really dark and like a goth photo shoot. Um, yeah, it received a lot of mixed comments. Okay, can I see what, what yeah, is this look quinceañera? It up. Quinceañera Rancho Santa Elena. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. I hate that she did this. But her dress is beautiful. But I hate that she did this. Yeah. This one, right? Yeah. Damn, I really like her dress. It's just tacky that she did this. The dress is beautiful, but why would you Why would you pick that? Yeah. I, it just looks out of place yeah and, i mean I, honestly that's kind of what the comments were like people were like you look beautiful and i love the vibe or whatever and then other people were like that is very insensitive to do a photo shoot for such a big day where people were tortured and killed and kidnapped and like such horrible horrible things happened 
Yeah. I feel. No, it is. Yeah. I also looked up videos on YouTube and came across an account named Mystery World, where a group goes in to investigate and talk about what happened in the ranch. Of course, it's full of graffiti and vandalism now, but there are still markings on the floor of the ritual symbols that they used. There were three people, a girl named Derian and a guy named Capi, that were talking and walking through, and then there was the cameraman filming them. In one part, the girl is recording Capi talk, and while he's talking, you hear a man's voice in the background saying something that wasn't really clear. They both look at each other because in that moment, the cameraman had gone to a different area to shoot and take pictures. So it was just her and him. Mm-hmm. So when the cameraman comes back, they were like, Oye, dijiste algo hace rato? Did you call us or did you say something earlier? And he swore up and down that he didn't. They later checked the camera and saw that he had been in a different area and was silent at that exact time. So there's definitely a lot of darkness in here. I hate when that happens. Like, why can't the cameraman catch that? I hate when that happens. I would not be surprised if there's any spirits left haunting this awful, awful place. Oh, I'm sure there is. I am sure there's. I really hope the ones in jail are being haunted. Yeah, I hope so too. From what I know, a couple of them are still alive. One of them I know died from AIDS and I forgot his name, but I know one of them died from AIDS and Sarah's still alive. She's doing interviews, wrote a book you know was she able yeah to the other ones the are book? still serving yeah yeah no it sold a, a lot of copies the funds went to her i'm not sure about that but i know she wrote a book and it was pretty popular she told in detail told everything story. that happened that is crazy after that i remember um well i don't remember because i was a baby but i've heard this case in the past people were so scared to go to south padre after this because it happened during spring break. Mm-hmm. And I remember that there is a lot of, oh, don't go to the other side. Don't cross the border. Well, oh, according yeah. to some episodes, I can't remember the podcast. They mentioned that the people were so scared. And it's crazy because the border has a really bad reputation. Mm-hmm. Like some crazy shit happens. In there. Yeah. Even when you're driving to Mexico, like be careful when you cross the border. Mm-hmm. The motherfucker probably started this shit. Yeah. Yeah. You know how one thing happens and then everybody else kind of takes the blame for it. Yeah. And this was a really huge case in that year. And like I said, I mean, even now, I'm sure it's present in a lot of people, but it resurfaced with that quinceañera photo shoot because that went viral. And then people started talking about what happened again, why it's viral. Oh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. I didn't see this quinceañera. Like, I I didn't know about it. Did you? Before you did this case? No, I didn't. Maybe people from the area were like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Like, are you okay? No. Yeah. Obviously. Weird shit. I'm just, I'm legit speechless. Well, all right. So that wraps up this episode. We hope you guys enjoyed. And please don't forget to send us your stories. Yeah. Actually, I meant to tell you, but I have a couple of stories that I was sent. Oh, were you? Yeah. So <laughs> I think we, I think we can make another ominous encounter soon. Oh my God. I'm excited. I, know, I love I'm, stories. Yeah, me too. So yeah, but if you have any stories, please send them to us and follow us on social media. We're on TikTok at Something Ominous. Instagram is Something Ominous Podcast and YouTube is Something Ominous. And send your stories to somethingominouspod at gmail.com. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.